call it. Welcome to episode 33 of Call It Friend of the podcast, where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Danica Tiernan, watch two films directed by Michael Mann, 2015's Black Hat and 2004's Collateral. As always, this podcast contains spoilers for both films right from the start. Check out justwatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. Please follow Call It Friend of the podcast on Instagram, like the Facebook page, leave a review on iTunes or any or all of the above. If you'd like to recommend a film for us to watch, just send us a DM on instagram especially if you're a black hat hacker named hathaway (laughs) (laughs) so what have you been watching this week andy well i'm still working my way through hernan that i mentioned last week and that's going well. That's a nice show. Having a lot of fun with that. But rather than watching stuff, I've been super busy again. So rather than watching stuff, I've been playing something, which is The Last of Us Part 2 on the PS4. Ah, I hear there's a gay relationship in it. There is. Yeah, it was uh, controversial. I'm a bit late to the party because I think it came out last year, but I could, I was finally able to afford it. And uh, I can see why the younger generation might be less impressed with film nowadays because the storytelling in this is amazing is quite i've heard that it's really really good but as you say there was a gay relationship and it was accused of being kind of heavily woke or whatever and there was a lot of young people who were there's a lot of people let's say a lot of people in general who weren't very happy with it i think it's great i think it's excellent i think it's phenomenal storytelling the incidental dialogue is amazing like they're able to reveal and define characters so clearly and they can do things in a game that it's really difficult to do in a film in a live action film because you can shoot from whatever angle you want etc etc and mm. uh, ex- excellent set pieces and a bit of the old ultra violence uh, i think find it's it difficult i put it on the easiest setting so no <laughs> <laughs> I, play, I found I the play first one quite difficult settings. Yeah, I played the first one on the lowest uh, the lowest difficulty setting as well. But great, great fun as a game. Yeah, it's quality, and they're they're adapting it at the moment. Craig Mazin, who made Chernobyl, is adapting right, the yes, TV I've series, and he's got he's going to have Pedro Pascal as and, Joel. Uh, Hernan, how many episodes are in that? There's only eight. Must be a long. Oh, There's right. only eight episodes. I just I don't have time. I'm working a lot. Hmm. Well, my watch load has decreased substantially this week. I don't know. Fatherhood must have caught up to me or some shit. Um, but I didn't. What get have to you watch been watching much. this week? Well, okay. So first, uh, I watched The Shape of Water. Have you seen The Shape of Water? I saw it in the cinema. Yeah, I saw it. In the, I saw it in the cinema as well. And I remember just thinking, this is basically Free Willy if Jesse fucked the fish at the end. Yeah, um, jacking off a fish, man. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, this time I actually enjoyed it a a, a bit more, I suppose. Um, it moved me a little bit. Also, I also uh, find it very funny when uh, Michael Shannon gets cast as a role that only Michael Shannon can play. Like nobody else can do that. What? Like I don't know. It's like uh, Jack Black in School of Rock. Like that role is for nobody else, you know. And that's well, Michael should... Shannon in The Shape of Water. They should have cast Michael Shannon in School of Rock. I would watch that, and I would love I to see. Quality. I would li- love to see Jack Black in the shape of water as the that character. Uh watched Logan, 
You seen oh, yeah. Logan? I yep. That's uh, uh, I would. I, that's something I'd like to rewatch. Definitely, it's a great film. Ah, oh, yeah. I mean, it's brilliant. It's like it's mm. going to be Hugh Jackman's last outing as uh, the titular mutant, obviously. But it genuinely feels like watching that that they were just getting started. Almost like he was always the best thing in the X Men series, but they're kind of high-level commerce meant that they couldn't quite draw from the more violent uh, storylines in the comics, which is what everybody wanted to see. You know what I mean? If your main character's, mm. uh, you know, claws emerge from his hands, you want a bit more blood. But yeah, they, when they finally got around with, to it with this film, which is almost like it's a post-apocalyptic Western yeah, kind of it's, story. It's, it's the most negative atmosphere I could think of for a film. It's like The Road or something. Yeah, Definitely. And like, there's a hint of kind of optimism at the end, but I mean, mm. spoilers, guys, if you haven't seen Logan, but I mean, I'd like, do you recall how Professor X uh, bites it? I don't remember. Is he using his powers or something? And I feel like he explodes or something. No, <laughs> he's, he's <laughs> like not a spinal trap. A microwave or Randy. something. Yeah, well, that's what I recall. Uh, no, um... X-24, a clone of, of Wolverine, right. stabs him and he thinks the Wolverine kills him, which is just oh. just miserable. Then I I watched on the same morning. It was a good morning, actually, because I've had a busy ass week with Ikeaing and babies. You watched Logan's watched, Run, the, the sequel. No, I, I'll never watch that again. That uh, that film is dead to me, uh, except for that clip. That clip is good. I'm, I can picture myself going back to that clip and to Jenny Agatha's breasts. Uh, no, I watched Assault on Precinct 13. You ever seen that? That's is that the the one from the one from the seventies and not the yeah, not not John the shitty Carpenter. remake with uh, Ethan Hawke. <laughs> I never watched the shitty remake. Um, I I think I've only seen the shitty remake. Oh well, Assault in Precinct Thirteen is just it's like it's an entertaining film, but it's I mean it's I guess it's quite schlocky. Well, it is, but it's all it's just a fascinating stage in John Carpenter's evolution because like his first few films. Actually, fuck it. I think most of his films, it's kind of, they're kind of in conversation with the medium, you know, and uh, stripping things away. And like, there's just really interesting things like in Assault and Precinct 13, for example, the gang and the and the police, every, like they've got like black people, Latin people, Asian people, white people, you know, all in the gang. And like the reason for that is, if you just think about it and look at his other films, he does things like this is just to strip away any notion that it could be politicized. Right. You know what I mean? Just no, this is not about race. This is about gangs here, people locked in the police station here. And then the dialogue is like right out of like 90, the 1950s Westerns that it was influenced by. Like this is this is a Rio Bravo, essentially. This is the, right. that, that's what Assault on Precinct 13 is. But um, yeah, it's uh, like it's 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 enjoyable. It's not quite schlocky, but there is a moment near the start. He he does another thing, and this is just another way of stripping away any anything other than the essence of the story, just to make sure that you don't side with the gangs against the police. Yeah, near the opening of the film, these gang members just pull up beside a little a little white girl with pigtails, getting ice cream from an ice cream van, and shoot her in the face. Like Respect. a little girl gets murdered right at the start of this. It's just, and like I've heard, I've seen John Carpenter in an interview saying, I mean, I made that film when I was 20, 26, and I don't think I would have shot the girl when I was 27. It's like, it's just such a young man kind of a. Mm. Yeah, a maybe stabbing instead. And then watch Jack Reacher, uh, which I've seen a bunch of times. It's great. 
Uh, I mean, it's not very much to do with the Jack Reacher of the books. You ever read the Jack Reacher books? I have not, but I enjoyed the first film, and then I made the mistake of watching the second film not that long ago. Yeah, that's kind of shit, the second film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just give, give him give him a daughter. What, really? Um, mm-hmm. And then also been watching The Morning Show on Apple. And um, Is that just a one season? Or? It's had one season so far. Yeah, it's really, really, really good. I Is can't it? emphasize it enough. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, for me anyway, Apple have produced four shows of such high quality that it's like they're approaching you know, the the TV shows they produce in the same way as their product. What are they're the just, four? The, pardon? What are the four? Oh, the four uh, really good ones. So Stephen Knight's uh, C, a post-apocalyptic uh, right, story yeah, about that, where yeah. everyone's blind. Uh, it's brilliant. I really enjoyed that. Uh, Ted Lasso, of course, which you're a season fan of. Season two I'm a fan starts of. in July. Yes, that's right. I watched the trailer and I'm going to rewatch season one before it comes out because I, I love me some Ted Lasso. Yeah, it's I do. quality. Then uh, Servant, the M. Night Shyamalan weirdness. And the morning show, which mm. it's bizarrely all star cast, and everybody is just, everybody, everybody is brilliant in it. It's like, it is a show that examines like the Me Too movement and particularly in the realm of show business, but you know, in a subtle, nuanced way, in a way that you do not expect these things to be examined like you know they want to have a proper look at the insidious nature of the thing or like an examine the phenomenon that's the thing they do they examine it like a phenomenon objectively right. uh, which is just interesting it's like it's not what you expect uh, at all and uh, yeah so i've been really enjoying that um but i didn't enjoy any of those as much as i enjoyed the two films that we watched for this week do you want me to tell you a little about black hat do tell me a bit about black hat yeah, so Black Hat's a 2015 action thriller directed by Michael Mann and written by Morgan Davis Fuller. So as the trailer line explains, the film is about a black hat hacker named Hathaway, which is a great line. And it's a shame that they never used it in the film, but I can understand why, because I think it drew quite a lot of criticism when the original trailer came out. What, a black hat hatter, uh, hacker named Hathaway? <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a black hat hacker named Hathaway. Is that in the trailer? I believe so, and it's cut together from other lines. It's not. It's, no one actually said that. It's, it's actually been cut together. Like ah, black hat <laughs> hat. hat really ah, cur. Maybe not that obvious, but I think it's like it has been cut together anyway. So Hathaway's played by Chris Hemsworth. The best name that I saw for the film on Reddit was Thordfish, <laughs> which is pretty clever. Yeah, that's very clever, yes. Yeah, so my first question to you, and we can discuss this, is why hadn't you watched this film? Because I'm guessing we're both we're we're both Michael Michael Manley men. I don't know. I can't like it just seemed to it, it certainly escaped me in the cinema and uh then I just never had the heart to catch up with it. Such a lukewarm reception it got. I would say um, more than that. I would say it was actively almost to the extreme negative reaction from the vast majority of people. There were some people who really liked it. Uh, there were some critics who put it on on their year-end best of lists, but the vast mm. majority, it's it's IMDb scores like around 5.5 and audience Whoa. scores were audience scores were really really low. I mean, okay, I'll come out like I had a great time with this. I really enjoyed it. 
I really enjoyed the film, and then I watched the director's cut, which we'll get to later, and that is infinitely better. Infinitely? Yes, an infinite amount that that cannot be measured or quantified. (laughs) And I stand (laughs) by that, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't care what you say, I'm not walking that back. (laughs) It's infinitely better. For a man who signed up to a... For a man who signed up to talk about films, you've really let yourself off the hook there, haven't you? <laughs> I, I'm not going to clarify why. I'll just say it is infinitely better. And that's, and that's yeah, I just fact. have to take you at your word. <laughs> that's a solid gold fact. I'll tell you what, when you've got a baby in the house, there's no time for watching the director's cut and the theatrical in one week. That's just, That luxury has escaped me. So Black Hat is Michael Mann's most recent film. Final film? Question mark. You think he's going to get anything else made? Well, he's been pushing for that Ferrari film for God knows how long. Hugh Jackman still technically signed up. I don't know. Um, I hope so. For him to go five years, now six years without making a film, isn't that crazy, actually? Yeah, and also I think, like you say, there are a couple of. I mean, there was a couple of projects that didn't go, and there's that Ferrari bio biopic, which maybe James Mangold's Ford versus Ferrari is kind of torpedoed. But I heard he's. Yeah. Did you watch Ford versus Ferrari? No, I never got around to that. I'm not a big fan. I really enjoyed it. I still haven't watched Rush for the for the fact that I don't really enjoy cars. But it has Daniel Brühl and Thor. Oh yeah, Zemo versus Thor. Forgot to bring up the fact that we've finished uh, Falcon, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, both of us. That's, that's true, it. but I have very little to say about that. Yeah, that's fair. Continue. So the budget of this film was, uh, well, actually, no, I'll ask you. What do you think the budget was? Do you know? Oh, wasn't it? It was 90 million, I believe. 70 million. And the total gross? Uh, it was under 10, I think. The worldwide gross was 19.7. In the US, was under 10. <laughs> <laughs> and worldwide is 19.7 million. So obviously Jesus. it was a massive bomb. It was annihilated mm. by American Sniper. And the performance in cinemas was so poor that the film was actually, the release was pulled from Australia. Their planned release never went ahead. Wow. That's mad because I have like, well, I mean, I didn't watch it. So, I mean, I don't know what to how Same. I can speak yeah. to that. So, I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm as much to blame as anybody for not making money. But I mean... I think this is a far better film than Miami Vice, for example. I still haven't watched Miami Vice for the same reasons I that I hadn't watched Black, he- Black Hat. Uh, I, I just, want to say I Black Heat. It, it is not good. I will eventually get around to it, but just uh, watching the trailers and I've tried, I've started to watch Miami Vice before and I just gave up. Yeah, you don't fun. need that, that in your life, quite frankly. I don't like Public Enemies either. I was not a fan of that. I d- also, I feel like we can eventually no, talk right. about shooting things on uh, digital video as opposed to film, but yeah, well, certainly, yeah, yeah. I mean, not, I'm yeah, not a massive the two fan films of that we're going to discuss today um, have those at the front and center, really. Mm. Although I think Black Hat was the first time he used it for the entire film. Yeah, it was fully digital. There's a lot of scenes where it actually looks pretty good. It's not too bad. But Public Enemies, think- when you put it into a period, I thought it was just uh, it really didn't work for me. Uh, it looked like the um, the technical run through of a film, whereby they plan the camera movements, but they only use a handheld digital camera. Right. Let's say you can see, like uh, I've seen a bunch of them for Gareth Evans's films because it's just interesting to see how they make kung fu films. Mm. But I remember um, 
Public Enemies, I found that extremely jarring when I saw it yeah, in the cinema. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what, because the, it, what the Christ is this? <laughs> it looks yeah. like some kind of amateur dramatic or like uh, reality TV show or something. You shouldn't, something like that shouldn't look that poor quality. It's just so many of these digital video features, there are large sections of them that don't hold up. They don't look great. Although... A lot of the stuff filmed at night with kind of like bright lights of a city, that looks great. Well, I honestly think, I thought Black Hat was a beautiful movie to look at. I thought it was really, really beautiful. Um, I, and I would say that in, in large parts, but there are certain scenes, uh, interior scenes that didn't look that great. Okay. Around the nuclear reactor, especially. They give you... Like the most uh, anticlimactic explosion in a nuclear power station you'll ever see in a film, you know, probably yeah, because, because it's, it's Michael Mann and he wants to give you a realistic explosion. Yeah, exactly. It's supposed to be accurate. That's exactly right. So Mann was inspired by an article about Stuxnet, the Iranian nuclear reactor worm. I know very, very little about that, but apparently that fed into it because he wanted uh, to to give a kind of modern hacker story with gritty realism that you might see in something like he framing the hacker as a modern day bank robber. And supposedly the hacking scenes are the most realistic uh, ever put on film, even more than 1995's hackers, Fuck which off. I find, which I find hard to believe. Yeah. Apparently, apparently uh, do it was. you remember what uh, the most common passwords uh, are from the film hackers? Sex and God or something like that? Sex and just... God. Sex, yeah. God and Pass, I think. <laughs> I can't uh, believe I remember that. Oh, Jesus. Uh, wow, great well, that's film. one of those things like um, the three seashells from Demolition right. Man. It's ne- it's ne- That's in your brain forever. You right. know what I mean? I kind of got that feeling while I was watching it. Well, I suppose, yeah. Actually, in big part, this is would be in hindsight because I after watching Collateral, I watched the making of Collateral. And got to watch like what an just examples of what an intrinsic researcher and filmmaker Michael Mann is. So I have no doubt that the lengthy machine like matrix sequences in uh, Black Hat are extremely accurate. Yeah, I have no yeah, doubt yeah. about that. Moving into the characters, first of all, we've got Chris Hemsworth as Nicholas Hathaway, probably the Michael Manliest of characters I can think of. Hey-o. He's up there. He's up there with the characters from Heat. He's gruff. He's doing a Michael Mann impression. He's got a Chicago accent. Uh, do you know what? I because again, I watched like the making of Collateral afterwards, and I noted that. I, I is that what's happening? I think so. Yeah, I think he's just doing Mann. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, I don't know because like, because it's an unusual accent. Uh, is that is is that where's Mann from? I think he's from around there. He's from Chicago. Okay, all right. No, that makes a lot of sense. Of course, okay, so a lot of gripes that people had with the film, I remember actually at the time, and you can still read it here and there in reviews, is, uh, well, first of all, first of all, Hemsworth's performance, which I thought was fine, actually. And second of all... I thought he was fine, but I just think he was the wrong choice. As much as I like him, I think he's great, but... Yeah, I don't think he... I think he was... I think he was miscast. He's far too handsome. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> genuinely they should have got someone slubbier <laughs> well yeah like the thing is normally i would normally i would discount opinions like that really but the fact of the matter is there are very few people that chris hemsworth can realistically play that are not norse gods to be yeah. to be honest 
Like I mean, he's a, it, it is ridiculous here at times. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah, like, yeah. fuck, you know. Especially because he's supposedly been in prison for years and he's absolutely fucking jacked because he's Thor, obviously. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, like, yeah, and uh, the only... <laughs> Well, the only um, backup we have for his Greek godlike physique is we we see one sequence of him doing push-ups. He co- Which when he goes is back not to in the cell. director's cut. Oh, is it not? No, you don't see him doing those push-ups in the in right. The I'm going to put a pause on this. You're going to right. So this director's cut is not an official director's cut, correct? It is okay. So yeah, Michael Mann made the director's cut, and it was released on TV on FX. Uh, if you want to watch the director's cut of this, you can probably figure out how to do it because someone took the TV rip and they cut it together. They cut all of the advert breaks out of it and they cut together using the Blu-ray version. So there's I, I got it off of a guy on Twitter. I'm, I'm going to say that. I got it from his blockbuster video. He, he sent me the VHS <laughs> that he made. And that's fine. I believe. I believe he officially. I think he's he's Michael Mann's best friend, and Michael Mann said it was okay. He phoned Michael Mann, and Michael Mann said, "Yep, you can send that VHS tape out." But if you do want to watch the director's cut, I I DM'd this guy on Twitter, and he sent me it in about five seconds, literally five seconds. He sent me a copy of the film that he cut. He's the guy who cut it together. You can figure oh, wow. this out. If, if you understand how Google works, you'll be able to figure out how to watch the Black Hat Directors Cut. I'm not going to say much more than that because I don't know what I mean, this guy wants it out there, but I'm sure it's fine. But this guy cut it together, not Michael Mann. Michael Mann cut a Directors Cut together, which was released on TV. Someone took the TV rip and cut that together with Blu-ray footage to try to make it as seamless as possible to the highest level of quality and also removing the ad breaks because there were ad breaks through the TV version. Um, So I'll tell you what's different, right? Okay, first of all, the theatrical cut starts with a nuclear reactor scene. There's a nuclear reactor which explodes in a, a very minor explosion. That is supposed to happen halfway through the story because it's really, really strange. In the theatrical cut, this is how the story opens, and then halfway through the film, they go to they go to the nuclear reactor, and people are still running around as though the nuclear reactor has just blown up, even though it's like about twenty four hours time difference or more, and everyone's still running around like oh, we got to get the people out. I, it makes it, it makes no sense whatsoever. It's clearly like out of yeah out of order. So. Um, now that it's in its original place, it makes so much more sense. It, it builds up. There's, a, But I understand why they did it, because starting a film with someone hacking in to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange to do a run mm. on, soy, on soy futures is not the yeah. most exciting thing that's ever happened. But I'll tell you another thing about the director's cut. So apparent, what I understand is Michael Mann is in his mid-70s and his hearing is failing. So supposedly the audio mix on the theatrical cut of the film is is well I mean I I thought there's there's periods where there there's scenes which have got ADR and they've looped some of the dialogue in the theatrical cut and apparently it's because man's hearing is going and he wasn't able to he wasn't able to get the audio that was actually needed at the time so that some of that has also been corrected in this cut and it just it makes okay. more sense. It's, it's methodical, logical. It's like these uh, some of the 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 TV series that we've been watching lately. It's a procedural that 
people, I mean, people accused the theatrical cut of being boring. I actually thought at times there was too much happening. <laughs> I wanted well, it to be I'll, more boring. Well, I'll tell you what now. Yeah, interject on a couple of things there. I I think it makes a lot more sense yet the, for the... In terms of escal, in terms of escalation for an explosion in a nuclear power plant to happen after a run on soy futures, I agree with you there. Everybody running around and panicking like it, like the explosion just happened, like you're saying, and now makes sense to me now that I know the other cut exists. Yeah, it didn't quite bother me in the in the film at the time. I figured as well. It's like. I mean, it's just you need something to open the story. Probably, it, like as well, like it makes sense both ways. I think it still doesn't bother me because I think the film is good. I yeah, still, and it I, is like, exciting. I really like, it, it, it is exciting. Yeah. Like here's the thing: is what the, the two films combined this week. It, like if you just look at like both of them in a certain way, and uh, this is such a dumb thing to say because I don't, M- Michael Mann would never do anything like this. But can you imagine if he made a Bond movie? Ooh, yeah. I it would mean, be the most realistic Bond movie, even more than the Sam Mendes ones. Start even how they started out. I think it would be he'd be able well, to to put together something interesting. We'll, we 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 should start rumbling through the story. Even yeah, yeah. Well, like well, in, let in, me in go broad through, strokes. Let me go through stro- the character. Well, let me go through some of the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First, please, do do, so. do your thing. Sorry, sorry. So basically, so so Nicholas Hathaway played by Chris Hemsworth. I think if this was in the nineteen seventies or eighties, the character would have been Dennis Farina, James Caan, someone like that. I think that's more, yeah. I don't know who the modern day vibe is, but that's who they should have gone with. Anyway, his love interest is played by Tang Wei, and uh, the character's name is Chen Lien. And uh, she's a Chinese actress. Her English is not great, but she does fine. She got her start in Ang Lee's Lust Caution. Have you seen that? No, I've never even heard of that. It was 2007. It was his follow-up to Brokeback Mountain. It was in between taking Woodstock and Brokeback Mountain, and it's uh, set in the Second World War. So I'm probably going to put that forward at some point because that looks quite interesting. Uh, Tang Wei, the actress, she was banned for a period of time because of that film because she has fully frontal nude sex scenes. Now, that's not the reason that I want to watch the film, okay? It's because I think it's going to be good. But hold on, backtrack a little bit. She was banned Mm -hmm. from where? From China. China was not happy. With her being, uh, because obviously, because uh, it's an Ang Lee film and he's from Taiwan. So he oh, does right. things yeah, a yeah, little okay. bit differently. So, but I mean, her, like, I mean, mm-hmm. I just didn't know that nudiness was against Communist Party regulations. Apparently so. And her lover in the film, Lust Caution, uh, is Lee Hong Wang, who in this film played her brother, Chen Da Wai. Oh, wow. Mm, that's not good. Saucy. And, uh, yeah, he plays uh, Chen Dawai, who's a captain in the People's Liberation Army and a college friend of Hathaway's. I, I, the thing that I find funniest is like, yeah, so, so Tang Wei's English, the one who plays Chen Lian, her English is, is not great, but her interactions with Chris Hemsworth are so funny to me. When they're sitting in the Chinese restaurant and Hemsworth's talking all this, like, I did time in a couple of joints, you know, real gladiator academies. Then I was on the I was on the run for eight years before the Phoebe caught up with me, <laughs> and she's just like kind of going, "Yep, mm-hmm," but he's so clearly would just be nodding politely, literally not understanding us. Like he makes no attempt to to at all <laughs> explain himself. <laughs> she yeah. clearly have no fucking clue what he was on about. Like I'll tell you, like for oh, me, you, um, the Phoebe, the, the Phoebe are after you, are they? 
how this film works on a mechanical level is just absolutely terrific. I like I love just the the action sequences and um like the the propulsion of the plot and stuff like that. Sure. If but yeah, if I'm going to um if I'm if, <laughs> if I had to zero in on one fatal flaw in the film, it would actually be the speech that you just referenced there. That just clanged yeah. like fucking metal on glass to me. Well, actually, no, to be honest, anything to do with Hemsworth's Hathaway trying to sell himself as some kind of a hardened criminal, I wasn't buying it. I also assumed uh, quite early on in the film, I just assumed that this film was financed by China. Hmm. I haven't been able to find any data about that, but I was just guessing. I felt like Tang Wei's English is not great. I felt like that was for the Chinese market, but then I read that she wasn't exactly favored in china so maybe not plus i mean this is no i don't mean to speak broadly about the chinese people but this is not the sort of thing that does gangbusters in china well see we could see the 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 worldwide gross being under 20 million dollars i'm guessing zero chinese people watch this film the the major chinese box office is attracted to giant monsters with ships and i don't like i mean just take a look at that i have no problem with that i'm on board i think they're right but this doesn't paint china in a particularly negative light i mean it's pro-china no it doesn't but anyway so rounding out the cast we've got viola davis playing fbi agent carol barrett who the only real thing of note about her character she lost her husband in 9-11 We've got Holt McElhaney from Mindhunter, the big guy from Mindhunter. The, yeah, I love him. US, US Marshal Jessup, who looks like a real Michael Mann character. And then finally, we've got call it friend or favorite, Yorick Van Shagenwagen from Chronicles yeah. of Riddick himself, <laughs> playing the baddie, the slobbish hacker, the guy who uh. needs a stint in prison to reach Hathaway levels of, of muscle. That's what he needs. The he needs scourge to go to a couple of, of Elizabeth he Salander. Needs to, <laughs> he needs to go to a couple of uh, the old gladiator academies. Yeah, he does. Guy, he I mean, do I don't know wh- a few pounds. I don't know where you learned hacking and where Hathaway learned hacking, but I mean, they clearly had a better varsity program yeah, at his hacking exactly. school. One of them, one of them came with a gym. <laughs> That's what, like, I thought. I, I thought that was quite a funny contrast because it's like, okay, okay, the conception that we have of like hackers as I don't know, um, like hairy bellied fellas in rush yeah. t-shirts in their mother's basements. I mean, is this that guy? like that, that that that's just a Hollywood creation? I mean, it, like, who's yeah. the most famous? Who's the most famous hacker of the last however many years? Mm, I was going to say Snowden. It's got to be. It's it's got to be Julian Assange, doesn't right, it? Right, Assange. And like, if you look at a young Assange, I mean, he was kind of a hot piece of ass, you know? Assange is the kind of, you, when I think of hackers like Assange, I think of people who paint the walls with their own feces. Why has he been doing that recently? Well, I don't know recently, but he did it when he was in the embassy in London. In the Ecuadorian embassy, is that why they mm-hmm. kicked him out? Or is, I, is, think, did, I think that was part of the reason they weren't very happy with him, yeah. He was <laughs> sm- smearing his excrement on the walls. <laughs> And they said, ah, Mr. Assange, with this excrement, you're you're truly spoiling us. Thank you. The ambassador imagine, will love your finger painting. I can painting. just imagine, like, a diplomatic, like, secretary or something going up to the, the ambassador. Mr. Ambassador. <laughs> Mr. Assange, do it again. I can't do this. <laughs> There's caca on the muro. Yeah, it's gonna be great. <laughs> oh no, Mr. Assange, Mr. Assange, no! <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll let you go with that. Uh, <laughs> I just find that so funny. 
was doing that. You, you gotta, yeah, you've had years so. to laugh at this. I've just learned about this. Frankly, I wasn't laughing. I was actually offended. Uh, <laughs> and I love that that's what made them extradite him. Extra shite him. Am I right? <laughs> I, love like how, were... I love how entertained you are by the, 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 the concept of, of a man, a grown-ass man, smearing <laughs> his fecal matter all over the walls of an international <laughs> embassy. But I mean, he like he came so far. He's a wanted man. He's holding up in it. <laughs> he ruins it for himself by doing a dirty protest. Yeah, in prison, he'll do that to you. Not even a real prison. He's got Pamela An Anderson embassy. coming to him on conjugal visits. Well, I would be smearing right. shit on my walls to avoid that. Moving into um, the plot, I'm going to describe the theatrical version. We can, well, I've basically I've already said what's different with the director's cut anyway. So the theatrical cut opens with a Fincher-style swoop in, interior of network. So we, can, we get to see exactly what's happening inside the network and the computer. But it's very unman. I was uh, a bit surprised by this opening. Yeah, it was very Tony Scott, as a matter of fact. Mm. Yeah, maybe that's a better comparison rather than Fincher, but... I've noticed Fincher doing a few of these type of things as well, of something that's entirely CG, uh, that's a kind of camera swooping movement. Plot-wise, we've got uh, a hacker in China who presses a button and causes a nuclear reactor to overheat and melt down. The Chinese government are worried, so they send Dawai Chen to the US to liaise with the FBI. When Dawai arrives there, he insists on the release of his old buddy Hathaway from prison to help on the case. Next, the Chicago Mercantile Trade Exchange is hacked. Now, I guess like you, same as me, you're big into the Chicago Mercantile Trade Exchange, correct? You're, you monitor that? Yeah, and no, to be fair, they did go to pains to really um, give it an accurate portrayal. The carpet has changed a little bit in the last few mm, years, but right. as far as I know, that's how it looked in 2015. So from this hack, this it forces the increase of, of soy futures which uh, has an effect on uh, food prices. Food prices increase in China, and again, China's not very happy. It's revealed that uh, there has been a remote access tool, or RAT, which is hacker terminology apparently, used, which was created by, by Dawai and Hathaway themselves at college. So Hathaway is furloughed. They find the person who planted the RAT at the Mercatel Exchange. His name is Lozano. But when they find him, he's dead in his apartment. Hathaway then arranges a meeting at a Chinese restaurant. When they get, when uh, Hathaway gets to the Chinese restaurant with Lien, he sees that there's a camera observing them. Then a bunch of guys come into the restaurant. There's b brutal violence. This is probably the yeah, first action scene. It's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, I really Great like it. Great fight some, scene. Some, something about the 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 sound mix throughout. I think it's. Um, in a few man films, similar to well, in this one as well, the 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 sound of of uh, guns being fired is extremely loud. But equally yes. here, just just punching and the use of weapons of like kind of knives, etc., is extremely just the the this sound mix is extremely high. Oh, I, I thought that I thought it was just like I thought it was terrific. I thought, yeah, like, yeah. It, 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 that made me buy for at least a few seconds that Chris Hemsworth had spent some time in prison. I thought it was a great mm. fight scene. Yeah, he's he's good. He's his combat, hand to hand combat's excellent. But then again, he is the and all the thunder. bottles and oh, yeah, it's a yeah, lot of bottling nice. people. Yeah, stabbing, bottling, etc. So Hathaway and Leanne go home for a, a shagging session. 
she must feel like she must Chewing. feel extremely lucky. Yes. Like, I'm sorry, but he's out of her league. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. She must feel like the luckiest gal in the whole wide world. Oh, to be her. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, that is definitely a situation where a, a lady could afford to could afford some predatory behavior. Like Lynn mm. could like very like realistically just see, like see what her brother has served up to her on a plate, do some mental mathematics and just said, okay, this white boy has just spent God, uh, how many years inside? I need to pin him with my vagina and fucking take his essence immediately. But that's, that's why Hemsworth is number one, absolutely ripped. And number two, he knows how to fight because he knows that men, women, everyone's going to be coming at him and he's going to have to fight them off. Oh yeah. I didn't even think of that. So after they have sex, uh, there's a really awkward scene in the theatrical cut where Hathaway's sitting down. <laughs> after they've had sex, he's sitting t- telling uh, Leanne about his, about his life <laughs> in a kind of like, and then when I was 17, my dad hit me. There's just, I can't remember what he says, but there's this. Yeah, I know thank, what you're talking thank, about, yeah. Thankfully, that's, that is not in the other cut. Yeah. I mean, my, my, like man's ability to uh, portray human relationships has not improved over the years. No, he's from the the Christopher Nolan school of uh, character interactions. So they head to the reactor. They all fly to China and then they head to the reactor, which again, the placement of the scene uh, slightly disrupts the plot. Data pulled off of servers there leads to a remote Wi-Fi server operated by someone called Kassar who's a, a generic Serbian-looking baddie, played uh, by English actor Richie Coster, who played the Chechen in The Dark Knight. Who was the Chechen in The Dark Knight? I have no idea. Me neither, what? but that's the a name of a character, the Chechen, yeah. I have no idea who that is, but... M- must be one of the gangsters, I suppose. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he just, he does look like a kind of, he does look just like a Serbian baddie, basically, is what you would expect to find this guy. So anyway... I thought Kassar- he was great. I, I really liked yeah, him. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, like, he's just as a, fine. As, just as a, like, a force of baddie nature, I enjoyed him. Mm. Uh, Kassar notices that he's being observed... Um, so him and his crew pull the soy future funds out of the monitored bank account. They murder the stakeout cops. Then there's a really intense action scene, which again is excellent. Halfway in the gang sprinting yeah. through Hong-, Hong Kong alleyways. There's a big shootout, which is really well shot. Then there's a bomb detonation. Kassar takes out a bunch of guys. It's well shot. It's violent. Kassar and the gang escape on a speedboat and multiple cops are dead. It was the sort. It's the sort of action scene that made me want to be playing it on a PlayStation. Yeah, it does feel very gamey. Like one very just cool little detail is you know when they're they're going sort of in a. It's almost like a spiral hallway. Yeah, and they're taking it like in yeah. they span lines across it and just firing yeah. slowly and slowly around yeah. the corners. I thought it was cool, very cool tactically. The next scene is really inconsequential uh the first time that you watch it because kassar goes out to a big boat to pick up a briefcase and the first time you watch it you're like well what's that all about it's too much to retain on a on a first viewing but it soon becomes very clear what's going on but before that they head back to the reactor this is very strange this doesn't happen in the director's cut in the the theatrical cut they head back to the reactor 
and enter the core to extract more data. Hathaway hacks the secret NSA software, which gives a location in Jakarta. Hathaway's intrusion is detected and the US wants to arrest him. Hathaway plans to leave for Jakarta without Leanne, and while comforting her in the street, a car containing her brother Dawai explodes. Boom! In a boom what with did a you really jump? nice slow mo. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you know when when someone's driving and a car crashes into it, you know it's coming because you've seen mm. it a million times. You're like, why is the camera lingering so far on this direction? It was clear that something was going to happen, but. Uh, I, I assumed that it was a car bomb, but then you see that Kassar has a fucking... He's got a fucking yeah. bazooka. <laughs> he's holding a bazooka, which he got from the briefcase earlier. That's why he had to sail out to the boat. Then there's another that shootout. shootout was ballin'. Mm, there's another shootout. In the resulting shootout, Barrett and Jessup are also killed. But nice shooting from Jessup. He, he, he just picks off oh, a number yeah. of the baddies. Again, it's just it's it seems like the sort of thing that like just because it's Michael Mann was like probably exactly the like I again I'm making reference to the making of that song Collateral, but like this combat trainer who who trained Tom Cruise in that like the the attention to detail with these sort of things, and then yeah, so you've got like you basically have um like Jessup in the middle of the road, not moving, not taking cover or anything, just calmly just moving between targets. I mean, and he knows he's going to get shot. Like he doesn't seem yeah, that yeah. bothered particularly, but he gets the way that he gets blown away as well is like, while after he's been oh, shot, yeah. like by three times, someone shoots him in the leg and the force of it kind of sends him flying through the air. Yeah. He, they ragdoll him. It's crazy. Mm. Then Hathaway and Leanne fly to Jakarta and the ultimate plan is revealed which is to flood tin mines to increase tin prices. That was it. I don't think, I mean, do we really care? Does it even matter particularly? Um, no, 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 not until, well, actually, yeah, yeah. Okay, bear with me on this, uh, like a second. Because just to draw the parallel with, with Heat, I think he's just, I think he's like attracted to guys who want to be masters of their domain, not in a Seinfeld way outside the traditional modes of being i i think like that's that that's basically michael mann's playing field and i like i think yeah like just basically figuring out that detail kind of brings us a little further into that world but of course the thing is about like like i suppose hathaway's arc in the story is getting back from something like that you know what i mean finding love and (laughs) Like, eventually, I mean, it comes down to a fucking screwdriver fight. There's no typing. Absolutely. He goes analog for the ending. So Lien uses another USB to hack the baddie. Apparently, the baddie's called Sadak. I had no idea. But he is the titular black hat, uh, played by Jorik van Shaggingwagen. And uh, Shaggingwagen arranges at, uh, a meeting with Hathaway in order to kill him. It's in a, at a big religious festival. As I, as I mentioned, Hathaway goes super analog. He uses magazines for body armor, and he arms himself with a range of screwdrivers, which is yeah. uh, it's impressive. It's good stuff. It's a beautiful scene. It's nicely shot. It's funny how little of a shit they give for the people attending the religious oh. festival. <laughs> oh, yeah, and yeah, also, yeah. like uh, all of the Western guys are like a foot taller than any of the locals. 
Yeah, and well, I mean, there's just like it, there, a lot of violence happens before people go running. But I mean, I suppose <laughs> yeah, that they seem they seem not to like they're not like he, uh, Chris Chris Hemsworth is shoving people out of the way, and they're kind of like yeah, 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 literally, yeah he's enough. just grabbing them and throwing them around, and, and they're just kind of like yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> a going, white Wee! guy, I suppose. <laughs> That's yeah, just that what we gotta do. Sense. Yeah, yeah, he's a tall blonde white man. Please push me. Like, well, like yeah, and, I, I okay. would take that actually. Yeah. There's, there's, just to roll back a little, you know, um, the meeting just before that where he's like, uh, he he had told them to come and not bring any more men or or something <laughs> along those lines. I just thought that was f- funny because they meet him in an abandoned building where you can see everything, <laughs> and it's, it's not like, well, you're ki- well, you're kind of going, how did you think he wouldn't see all the extra guys you brought? You brought a million extra guys. It's better if you don't think too much building. about. It's better if you don't think too much about the logic of those final two meetings, because yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's no, a, that's fair. Not, you right, might yeah. as you might as well think like, uh, how much time did Batman take to light all those fires in the building in yeah, yeah, Dark Knight Rises? Yeah. Ultimately, there's ultimately there's a screwdriver that's got Sadak's name on it. That's just that's just just the way it is. Like he's got he's getting a screwdriver. But before the big baddie gets screwdrivered, Hathaway first stabs Cassar in the eye. Uh, then oh, Hathaway, yeah. get, nice. Hathaway, get, Hathaway gets shot and then he takes his screwdriver and stabs it through old Yorick's stomach and her chest. And yeah, again, that excellent sound design, like it, it, it's the most violent sounding stabbing and with the screwdriver, mm. no less. And then Hathaway and Leanne have the Soy Futures money, which is around 50 million euros. They withdraw some cash from the ATM and then head through the airport to freedom nervously. But like a lot of uh, Michael Mann films, the two main characters look kind of broken at the end of it. And Hathaway, okay, so uh, Leanne's brother has died. He was in the car that got blown up by Kassar. Mm. And and Hathaway is wanted by the US government. Yeah. And probably 17 other governments. Like, what do you do beyond this point, you know? You've got 50 million euros and they've got fake passports, etc. But yeah, I don't know. Also, he's a hacker, so he probably knows what to do. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it just seems like, uh, I don't know, like, what do you do? Do you go um, start to go to Africa and make coup d'etats happen? I mean, what do you do with your life? Might as well. Why not? Yeah, I suppose. I really, really enjoyed this film. Please explain to me what exactly makes the director's cut infinitely better. But that was basically what I said. Is just that it's it's logical. It's just everything is in the correct order. It's a it's a slow build up. It's a much slower build up because you've got the soy yeah, futures I, I run. Yeah, I can imagine. You've you, you've got the soy futures run, and then there's an extra scene in there with a boat carrying soy approaching the Netherlands, and um, they're radioed and told that they can't dock the boat because the value of the cargo is so high now. So just a, it shows the switch oh, of, wow. of what can happen. Yeah, it's just it's a scene that shows the switch That's of what really can happen with, with someone pressing a button, and so it does give some insight into the effect of that of that soy futures run. And even that, I mean, that hacking is enough for the Chinese government to be worried because it forces up the the price of food. And no, 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 like to to be clear, the like to me, the director's cut does sound better. I mean, me t- saying I can like I can understand why they put the reactor thing at the start, but to yeah. me, it's much more inter- It's much more interesting to have the slow build of an hour yeah. before anything happens, yeah. because then if you think about it, like 
Okay, the film opens with that explosion, but then basically nothing happens for an hour anyway. And yeah, then kind of, they kind of blow their loads. Yeah, but then it's, then it's crazy uh, for the second hour, you know? It's so much yeah. action. It just means that there's a bit of mystery and intrigue to it because the guy who's murdered, that they find murdered in the, in the apartment, the guy who, who does the hack on the uh, Chicago Mercantile, there's, yeah. just, there's, there's more of a mystery to it. It's like, well, okay, so why have they killed this guy, et cetera, et cetera. It's just you're building, you're going logically step by step through more of a yeah. sol- solving a mystery. And then the shit hits the fan. Yeah, and then of it, course, it actually, up, because yeah, in the gear. theatrical. Yeah, no, sorry, continue. No, that was it. Just then it steps up a gear with the nuclear reactor hack. Yeah, no, because in the theatrical cut, yeah, there's no mystery to that because of the nuclear reactor, because right, we know that's like, connected. The shit, yeah, the bad things already happened, the big, the big bad. And mm. then, I mean, the, and so the reason, the ultimate, what they're, they're planning to flood uh, tin mines using the same turbines, uh, it's using a hack on the same brand of turbine that's in the nuclear reactor, so... There's there's also logic to that there, and it, it feels step by step. I did see some arguments that there should have been maybe one more hack could have worked just for building tension. But I I think Man just either got scared or it was a studio note and he decided like shit maybe we need to open big. Then he fixed I'll it t- with his director's cut, but he, it's not out there. You can't buy that director's cut anywhere. I'll tell you what though. I mean. Yeah, the, like I, this film has made me want to watch Public Enemy again because I instantly recognize the the type of photography that you get in Public Enemy. But it, I just thought it really, really worked in this film. It wasn't garish. It didn't bother me at all. So maybe I'm thinking, well, maybe Man was just really ahead of his time and it's aged really well. Maybe there's much more things being made like this now than we realize because it didn't bother me at all watching this. Not once. Yeah. I would probably like to check out Public Enemies again. It's, it, I think I only watched it once. I remember I wasn't a big fan of it, but I'd be, I would definitely check out yeah. it again. But here the Me shooting, too, I think I only worked, saw it in the cinema. Here the shooting worked quite well for the, you know, you've got Hong Kong, uh, especially beautiful night vistas. It's grounded, it's authentic. And the scenes, the scenes where there's the most energy, like for me, especially when they're running through those back streets. It's mad. It is. It's like Michael Mann's version of a fucking Hong Kong movie, the second half at least, because the shooting is off the chain. There's so much going on, like, particularly in that first big shootout. It's just crazy, like. Mm -hmm. I suppose so. We should get on to uh, the film you responded with, which was uh, Michael Mann's 2004 film Collateral, which starred famously uh, Tom Cruise out of character. He's kind of the baddie in it. Also alongside him, Jamie Foxx, Jada Pinkett Smith, Peter Berg, and Javier Bardem in an un- in an in an early Javier Bardem role, let's say, with his you know taking in mind only his interactions in Hollywood. It's based on a, a script by Stuart Beatty that was um, bopping around um, Hollywood for a good while before it ended up getting made. Have you seen any of uh, Stuart Beatty's other uh, produce? What are some of Stuart Beatty's other films? He's Australian, I seem to remember. He's an Australian guy. He said, like he said, he he thought of the he thought of the film getting a taxi from getting a taxi from Sydney Airport and just thinking, oh, I could be a psychopath in the back of this car, and and you know nobody would know any of the wiser. He initially thought of it as kind of a comedy, and it almost could be a comedy. Is why is one reason it's a very interesting film because I'll, well I'll get to it in a second. First of all, talking about Stuart Beatty, so he he did like he Parts did. Of the Caribbean. Uh, 
he did the story for that. He did then this script, which he sold and it did it very well. He did a script for 30 Days of Night, did a co-write on Australia. Oh, Australia. Mm. Favourite of yours, yes. And wrote and directed mm-hmm. uh, Tomorrow When the War Began, which sounds terrible. I've not seen it. And I, Frankenstein, which was memorably trashed by anybody who came into contact with it. That was a very trashed film. I'd say you'd find below five on Rotten Tomatoes if you cared to look. Man claims he was like attracted to the script initially because it's just characterization happening in real time over the course of one night. And that was something that interested him. I think he, with this film, he ended up continuing, I don't know, man's search for meaning through criminality. Um, have you heard you mean, about... Is that, um, is that man's search for meaning with two ends or one yeah. end? Yeah, that was a very clever thing okay, I did just Just there. checking. Thank you for clarifying. Right, so... Do, uh, how much do you know about um, this film's journey to the screen? Uh, quite a bit. Oh, right. Fair enough. <laughs> Maybe we won't do. <laughs> no, no. You, uh, you, well, you, you, can, you can ask me. Ask me some questions. Let's see if I can answer them. Well, I, th- uh, I think one, right, one, very interest, one very interesting thing happens at the start of it. Well, first of all, okay, let's see. We'll, we'll test you. Who, do you know what director it was pitched to first? Uh, I know Scorsese was in there. There was, oh, I can't remember now. I feel like Spielberg was in there. There was, there's, there's a few. Frank Darabont was oh, yeah, uh, the that's first right. one. Darabont is another one, yeah. It was pitched to, it was also pitched to Fernando Moreles and um, considered in the cast, you know who the leads were considered first, uh, like, well, amongst the first people considered? Russell Crowe for Vincent. Adam Sandler was going to be Max, but then he shoots a, on Spanglish over Ran. Yeah, and uh, it came very close to that, actually. And yeah, it was going to be sh- shot in... Um, New York originally, that's where the script ah. was based, where it was written. But yeah, Mike, uh, Michael Mann just picked it up, decided to uproot and take it to his neck of the woods. I like the film opens in a, it, another f- person who almost got the gig was uh, Louis Leterrier. Oh, who, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the director of the Transporter films. And of course, f- famously, a uh, cameo at the start of this film. Well, I don't know, was it a cameo? Was uh, Jason Statham famous enough to be doing cameos at this point in his career? He would have been, yeah, I that was It was a cameo. He was definitely, I remember he was well, he was known enough that people were like, hey, but was he supposed to be playing the Transporter he, character? Was that ever His character though? from the Transporter, yeah. Yeah. And like, it's the strangest thing because you see Cruz in this getup that could like is just so meticulously designed with the gray hair and the gray suit. I mean, he looks like death, you know, he looks like death walking through the airport and, uh, basically Cruz kind of encounters in the form of Jason Statham, the film that this could have been, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. A much happier it, affair. Well, the setup is just has a madcap Jason Statham film written all over it. Well, like crank or something. Yeah, exactly. Like there's there's a version of this film that exists where it's Adam Sandler screeching the car around corners while Jason Statham is stood on the roof firing magnums at chasing you fucking people. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, you fucking can't. Los Angeles. That like that exists somewhere in like a a, a a I don't know, a pitch folder. Somebody definitely pitched that version. Louis Leterrier saw it as more of a comedy anyway. Mm. I suppose there are funny moments in this. Probably because Jamie yeah, Foxx is quite funny. Also, um, and actually, uh, Cruz. Cruz, Cruz is funny. Does good, he does a good job. Yeah, yeah. Well, everyone, everyone does a good job. In it. First, I like, sure, sure, which sure. film did you prefer this uh, week? Well, I've seen Collateral like about five or six times. Yeah, I me too. Would, I'd still have to go this. Although the Black Hat director's car is definitely up there. Well, I mean, I had seen this so many times that, yeah, I ended up go, like, I, I 
did my wee bit of research beforehand and I went to and the uh, making of on, on YouTube. Yeah. And, uh, and it, like, it just gives you a fascinating look at what kind of a filmmaker Michael Mann is. And so then, like, I mean, the overview of the plot, taxi driver driving an assassin around the city of Los Angeles while police kind of t- tail him, uh, will he get away with it or won't he get away with it? Eventually, he might, like, run into a girl he has a meet-cute with at the start of the film, right? Those are the parts you put on the board. With just those, like, tell me you don't imagine a completely different film to this. Well, there's even, there was that film from last year, uh, Stuber, which I think was supposedly had a fairly similar plot, but was a comedy. Stuber? I've not heard of that. Yeah, I think it was a guy called Stu who drives an Uber. Again, I also haven't seen it. Well... Anyway, all you need is basically Michael Mann to enter the picture and make this the kind of just existential dark look into the soul that this is. Because that is like, I mean, like, I do think despite the fact that the plot works very conveniently for a Michael Mann film, this is probably his most Hollywood structure going, I would think, of all of his films, the way this one works out. You know Um, the gross of this one? Eh, hey, we made a lot of money, I understand it, like 200 million or something, no? Yeah, yeah, 220 from 65 million budget. I mean, that's that's a, a success that's story. A lot of money. Like the thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, it's an example of Are you a Tom Cruise fan? I am. I do like his I like his films. I'm happy to watch him in anything. Uh, this was also pre-Sofa Jump. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, as well, Cruise is he's not token casting in this. Like like just let's cast Tom Cruise no, against no. type. He's great. He's like he's really, really he really he brings something to it. And when you watch that making of you can see the work he would have put in. Yeah. Like what Keanu Reeves be became famous for a, a couple of decades later or at least one decade mm. later with his training for John Wick. John like Wick, Cruise yeah. was doing it for this. Uh they like they had an SAS trainer teaching him how to shoot. And uh, we'll get to one scene in particular that you sent me a video of regarding, mm. like, just how accurate it was to how people handle themselves in situations like this. I think um, I've, watched that, I've watched that video so many times at this point, like, literally about 50 times. It's quite, well, I mean, it's good video. It's very interesting. Yeah. Well, anyway, okay, so we open up, we see, uh, we see Vincent pick up his briefcase. Vincent is Tom Cruise's character, is an assassin. Then we uh, cut to Max. The film opens really nicely um, using the radio stations around Los Angeles to sort of give you an idea of the texture of the city and the different neighborhoods and so forth. You see Max speaking a little bit of Spanish. How do you find Jamie Foxx in this film? He's good because he looks schlubby. He kind of, he looks yes. how Hathaway probably should have looked. Jamie Foxx, could he have, could, <laughs> yeah, could, yeah, yeah, could, could, could he have been in uh, Black Hat? I just think because like here he's a realistic everyman. Like I, I, I dress like him. <laughs> yeah, the dress wears, is like, a lot. Hoodies, the... hoodies and, and t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, me too. The dre- and the like the dress is is half the battle. I feel how he yeah. how he shows up to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I also think he kind of has a, a a sort of a clueless sensibility in his face. Mm. He just looks like an Egypt for half the film until he kind of starts to take agency. He's got rather large glasses as well. Uh, yeah, which of course make him look like a goofy twat. Nerd. Yeah. Nerd. Anyway, he so one. Uh, so we see him pick up. Uh, well, first of all, we see him watching various people in the back of his taxi. We have the lady who. Uh, we have the lady who played Ray Liotta's mistress in Goodfellas. Um, uh, Debbie Debbie Mazar, apparently. There you are now. Also, TV, also from TV's The Nanny, I believe. And then uh, we get to see a meet cute with him and uh, a lady called Annie Farrell, played by Jada Pinkett Smith. 
it was for the it's for these scenes particular that I started to notice something, and then that like it had been I only know I I may have only noticed it because it had been brought up in the making of, but they use a different type of camera for inside the taxis, hmm. so you can easier see the things passing by in the background. Anyway, they have a lovely we meet cute, uh, and she gives uh, Max her business card saying, "Hey." Baby, give me a call. Um, Are you familiar with uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's metal band? No, I'm not. What? She's the lead vocalist in a band called Wicked Wisdom. Are they any good? It's not my cup of tea, but there's a really funny video of them performing at OzFest in about 2006 or 2007. And when they're on stage, Will Smith is stood at the side nodding his head. (laughs) It just is so funny to see him like rocking out to this. Uh, somewhat over-the-top metal band. What kind of metal is it? Hey, listen, as far as I'm concerned, metal's metal. I'm sorry, I can't go into further Okay, fair enough. I'm, I'm intrigued, though. I like, okay, I mean, check, I like check a, them out. They're called Wicked Wisdom. I like a... I have a... <laughs> I have a, a surprisingly high tolerance for um, low-quality metal music. Well, uh, but she, anyway. I mean, apparently, she, uh, yeah, apparently she took it very seriously. Anyway, sidetrack. Right. She's very good in this. Yeah, she is. She is. Um, she w- went through a, a, an hour and a half of an interview uh, of a audition for the film with uh, Michael Mann just running scenes with her again and again and again. Max's next fair is uh, Vincent, Tom Cruise. Cruise was, and this is sort of in the script, Vincent is purposefully rude to uh, to Max at the start of the taxi cab to sort of see does Max have an aggressive streak in him. And at that point, Cruz would have, like Vincent, would have abandoned the taxi. But he appears not to. He's a little bit impressed by his navigation skills. And then he takes him, like he he says to him, "I'm in town. I'm pull. I'm doing a few a real estate deal tonight. I've got five or six stops. You're mine for the night." And he offers him six hundred euros, and Max takes it. So Vincent buggers off away from the taxi uh, uh, for his first real estate deal. But then, of course, a few seconds later, a big fat Latino man lands on the roof of the taxi. Man executes a shock really well. I jumped at this as well. The sound is because of the sound. It's extremely loud. And like, like, same as yourself, I've seen this film a bunch of times, but yeah, yeah. yeah, it really got me. Fox is excellent in this scene, just jumping out of the taxi, just being a big goofy. He did, he did, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. dead, dead. Good guess. Uh, Yeah, yeah, he's very funny in that. And uh, then basically the game, the gig is up and uh, Vincent says to him, yeah, look, I'm going to be going around killing people. You're going to be coming around with me. You're still going to get your money. whoop de doo help me put this guy in the back of the car. We'll tape your car back together and we're on the road. Uh, so like Fox left without most, much of a choice, continues on the road. They get pulled over by some cops. Vincent says to him, get rid of the cops or I'm going to shoot these cops. And I really thought he would do it. It's it's an impressive part of the film because it might be a couple of uh, years since I've seen it, but I was going, oh my God, is he going to shoot these cops? Mm. You know, but also, just... he basically fails in his task and is just extremely lucky. So even oh, yeah, when, yeah, exactly. when, so, so Vincent tests Max and Max fails. And then it kind of feeds into when Vincent then later retests Max when he has to go into the club. So there's there's more tests there's Max. So this is this is almost like a test of of Max's character to see whether or not he's able to pull this off. If he's able to to like avoid this. There's there's an element of this of like Vincent playing some kind of game. The fact that he's chosen to live his life this way to get driven around by taxi drivers. He doesn't have to do this. He doesn't have to to use this system to go around killing people. There would be a there yeah. could be a, there could be a it's much true. easier way to do it. 
so part of the game in a way is sort of forcing the character of max to to kind of face up to reality and be yeah. this this more hardened man he starts to max starts to turn into vincent over the course of the film so in this first well, yeah, yeah. this this first type of test where he has to talk his way out of something he fails so even for the audience when going into when max has to go into the club to kind of get the uh, backup there's a lot more pressure there and we as the audience know that he's already fucked up yeah so we've yeah, got we've true. got higher stakes Basically, like at this point, we've already heard mentioned twice his idea of uh, he's going to be setting up a limo yeah, company Island anytime limos, now. Any- baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got like uh, you won't want to get out to the li- out of the limo when you get to the airport. As the film progresses, then with that on one side and with Max's uh, like Vincent's kind of shit testing of Max on the other, like it's literally almost like you know his own mortality is pursuing pursuing him. It's a kind of a I mean, it's a very violent version of how Stella got her groove back, you know, in a way. Yeah. Uh, Vincent get, getting Max his groove back. He has to head along for, uh, like, after that, the cops get uh, called away to something else, shots fired in some place or another, and they just about get away with it. Because, of course, there's a body in the boot. Cops see the body, it's game over. Then next up, he heads he heads to his next assignment, but he ties, he cable ties Max's hands to the steering wheel. Uh, and we see Mark Ruffalo arrive to the first crime scene and his partner peter berg comes along suggests it might be a suicide of course it's not a suicide he's looking here there and everywhere trying to figure out what exactly it might be and then somebody throws him down a shell casing and they figure out it might be a murder i had completely forgotten mark ruffalo was in this um yeah apparently ruffalo spent six weeks shadowing a police officer who had uh, exactly the same look the slip back the slick back hair and the the earring etc yeah i thought he's really good in this ruffalo ah ruffalo's good in everything yeah this, i, I think true. i think mark ruffalo it's fair great. as you said literally everyone in this is excellent and in their roles uh yeah i would maybe <laughs> well we'll get to one but anyway when Ma- when Vincent goes in for his next job uh Max starts beeping the horn trying to attack detention and then a bunch of I don't know surfer scumbags come along and yeah. uh rob rob uh, Max of his wallet and of Vincent's briefcase and then comes the scene of which you've watched the video many times so maybe you'd like to talk us yo through homie. that Yo homie Vincent comes into view and he says yo homie you got my briefcase, and then the guy, the 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 lead uh, grubby bad guy, comes forward with his gun, like yeah, motherfucker. And then basically, it's shot by shot. Vincent pushes the guy's arm across to get the gun out of his own face. At the same time, he reaches, takes his own gun, shoots from the hip, puts two mm. shots into the first guy, turns. Puts two shots. I feel like I'm Alan Partridge <laughs> at this point. <laughs> he puts two shots. He's ba- I am Alan Partridge. <laughs> I'm just watching, <laughs> watching videos of of how to do accurate shootings. So he flips and turns and puts two shots into the next guy, and then executes, does headshots. But it's just, it's it's it is done with precision and speed. It's it's beautiful if you're into yeah, that glorious. level of violence. Uh, Vincent takes Max to a jazz club to buy him a drink and there they're schmoozing the owner the club owner Daniel he's telling them stories about um, Miles Davis and we get the insight into Vincent's character that he really likes jazz so I suppose it's unsurprising in terms like like in terms of the kind of character we're being presented that's a thing you you come across a lot in these kind of things this guy likes jazz that's it yeah that's that a- means that he's yeah he's 
he's classy. It, it's the only humanization really that you you get, or some insight into Vincent outside of his killing people. But then, I mean, Vincent. Oh, I'd say the char- flowers later as well. Oh yeah, that's true. I mean, Vincent's character background is that his mother died. He mm. was uh, he had a terrible relationship with his father. And that's how you become an assassin. That's guaranteed. Yeah, that's Max what happens. Yeah, Max Rec- uh, uh, man in his character profile, he said he's from uh, some somewhere in um, Indiana. And uh, man reckons he lives like in rural Thailand. Mm. And just, that's very yeah, specific. Flies, just flies into the country to do jobs and so forth. But he, and he's also he's also into jazz. I remember the first uh, time I the first time I um, watched this uh, film, this scene in particular blew me away because all of a sudden. Vincent drops some word like Kubla Khan, I, I think it is, and uh, then the then the owner knows. Oh shit, this guy's here to plug me. Yeah. He asks him a jazz trivia question. The guy gets it wrong. <laughs> Jamie Fox presents some uh, of his comedy chops. The question is, where did Miles Davis learn music? And Max says, music school, which is just fucking dumb. But anyway. Uh, yeah, and then um, Vincent plugs him. Max getting particularly angry at this now. Uh, they get outside, and um, at this time, Max gets a talking to from his boss Lenny over the phone. And then we get basically life coach Cruz. Life coach Cruz sorts mm. out Max's issue with his boss with his broken car by just yelling at the boss and threatening him. And the boss folds over immediately. And we do see, like you know, there there is a lot Max could learn. Max's mother has been calling the boss relentlessly. Now, how uncomfortable is the scene with the mother? <laughs> I think it's nice. You thought it was nice? It was a thought, nice little visit to the mother. Yeah, they go into the mother and she's immediately... I mean, it's like she's been written in a Sigmund Freud textbook. Who's this nice man? <laughs> you bought me these flowers? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's because yeah, when she thinks her son bought her the flowers, she hates them. And when she finds out it was Tom Cruise, she's like, "Oh, these nice flowers, this nice man." But then the mother drops that um, she's under the impression that Max has a limousine company, right? Which there you go. is kind of him getting caught out in a big fat lie. Oops. Um, so Max, in a rather childish move, but taking some kind of agency, grabs Vincent's briefcase legs it and hurls it onto the freeway where it's destroyed by a truck i have to say i don't know whose side i was on about this but every time i watch this and he's running with that briefcase i am i'm with tom cruise i'm like do not throw that fucking briefcase it's just like of all the people that cruise is contracted to execute the only one we really care about is annie right that's the only one we care about it's like killing the lawyer all fuck all yeah. the witnesses and everyone else. It's like, yeah, don't kill Jada Pinkett Smith because what will Wicked Wisdom do? You're gonna have to get a new vocalist. That's it. Well, that's it as well. I mean, when um, Max is first coming at uh, coming at Cruz with um, all his like, you know, you oh, you shouldn't be killing people. Essentially, don't be killing people. He gives him some, I don't know, some cock and bull about some uh, apparent genocide that happened in Rwanda. Max answers, yeah, I don't know any Rwandans. But I suppose this is a very similar thing to what you were talking about with uh, the Irishman and with Casino. It's like a lot of these, it's all in the game, Andy, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. All these people signed up, except, I mean, I don't know about whacking the lawyer, but 
fuck everyone else. Yeah, but one thing as well that did occur to me this time watching the mo- watching the film is like, okay, when Vincent's getting near the end of his list this time around, I mean, surely there'll be a mistrial the following day because everybody key in the court case. <laughs> I was I was wondering about that. Like, how does that resolve itself? Yeah, like, I mean, does the judge just go, ah, okay, oh, they all got murdered dead. last That's night. Fine, so I guess <laughs> we'll just, we'll let you go. You're free to go, sir. Wait, 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 your honor, they got murdered in a bizarrely similar fashion. Man, whoa, <laughs> I mean, no skin off my nose. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are no witnesses, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Case, Enjoy your life, Mr. Closed. Felix. Alright, so this may, this uh, <laughs> brings us to the scene where um, Max has to go and see Felix, the guy who's presumably paying Vincent to do his job, and he has to pretend to be Vincent. Felix being played by Javier Bardem. Now, are you very Javier, young looking, Javier Bardem? And Javier Bardem monologuing was not a thing at this point. I guess um, his English his English was not great. He also apparently he studied for weeks to perfect his uh, Mexican accent as well. I mean, no, I'm not saying like I think Javier Bardem is one of the most charismatic actors on the planet. I really do. Mm, sure. Yeah, we've 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 named the podcast after yeah, one of his fucking he, lines. Our 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 logo is his face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I ju- like I just think in this film. This monologue stands out like a sore fucking thumb. Mm. This uh, thing about Santa Claus and Black Peter and, um, you know, the punishments that you like, uh, like that'll be meted out, etc. It's just it's real cheesy bad guy monologuing for a film that, you know, I mean, that has that really precise execution scene in the alleyway. It just seems because there's no way gangsters monologue like this. There's just no way. Like you watch a like Cormac McCarthy's um, screenplay directed by Ridley Scott, The Counselor, and the way characters talk in that, I mean, is fine in so many movies, but there's so much cartel violence in that film that you just can't, and that's gritty and realistic, and you're just like, okay, these cartel thugs do not monologue so eloquently, <laughs> and neither does this cunt in the nightclub. So that took me a bit out uh, out of it. I, I must say, I thought that was fucking dumb uh, but it's really fun um when max gets into the role of vincent and just goes goes with it can you think of any other uh javier bardem monologuing specialties no country for old men he has some solid monologuing about some, a coin got some, got some good monologuing in uh, skyfall i believe there's some monologuing yeah and then they're driving along they actually see um they see some coyotes uh wandering through the city uh which is a real stark memorable sort of shot and they symbolize obviousness again that type of shot is part of the reason why man favors shooting on digital cameras because he knew that they if they just went back there every night and it was really easy for them to film so they Mm. knew they could just go back there every night and they would eventually get the shot that they wanted they would see the the wild coyotes yeah because it's in the script and everything Tom Cruise said it was one of the things that attracted him to to it. But of course, at this point, like at this point, uh, he stops using um, digital for about five minutes and goes back to film to shoot the uh, shootout sequence inside the nightclub, which is I didn't realize it before. But I think John Wick definitely took its playbook from this scene, I would argue. Right. The way this this is done. like this, like how chaotic, like this must have been a, a crazy thing to shoot. So yeah, we got Vincent wandering into a nightclub with with uh, with Max. Then there's also Felix's people are coming in to, to like to 
to plug Vincent if he doesn't pull it off. And also Mark Ruffalo has just arrived on the scene because he's been tailing the taxi for a little bit. Because apparently it matches up to uh, some executions they saw a while back as well. Then all of a sudden, just sh- like it's just a nightclub. I don't go to nightclubs or like them. I'd say you're probably in the same boat. So already I'm a bit like, oh, God, get out of there. One thing that this nightclub scene could use, though, like, you know, in the social network, the scene in the nightclub. No, I don't remember. It's been a while. What's the scene in the Everyone is just shouting. (laughs) Which is and all those because when they film those there's no music and the actors have to shout. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they they play music in the in the soundtrack over the top. But that's like no, what I'm saying is in the social network the nightclub scene is really realistic and um like this almost gets near it but it doesn't quite but it doesn't matter because there's no dialogue and once the shooting started it doesn't matter it's a spectacular shootout it's really really exciting and you can actually follow what the action in it um yeah and it's very clear what's going on even though it's frenetic and kinetic you still understand what's happening and cruz gets his target it's rather brutal and then just at the end where it looks like Max might get away, Vincent, which I had completely forgotten this happens, just shoots Mark Ruffalo dead, yeah. just execute him on the spot and takes Max. It's a fucking barnstormer of a moment, isn't it? And not even that. He's like, he's like Max, I did you a favor. That annoying guy who <laughs> was bothering you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, come on, like Max, come on, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> let's back to the drawing board. And anyway, at You're this point, welcome. Max has had a fucking nerf. So they belting it along through uh, Los Angeles. And um, it's 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 really cool because it's like, okay, I always think about this as like, I think humans should give themselves more credit that they don't murder each other with cars all the time. Because everybody just drives around weapons, you know, essentially. And at this point, it's like, Max has had all his power taken away and he kind of just, I don't know, he sort of seems to have the realization is like, well, guess what? There's one thing that you're not in charge of that I'm in charge of, and it's this fucking car. So he blazes through the city and sort of then takes charge of um, proceedings and um, crashes the car on purpose. It spins and rolls over several times. When he gets out of the car, then Vincent is, I think Vincent has gone already, hasn't he? Because the cops are approaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When the cop turns up, Vincent's nowhere to be seen. And uh, the cop is asking Max, is everything okay? But then he spots the dead body in the back seat, so Max has to completely scarper. Next thing he sees, uh, he he sees that next on Vincent's kill list is Annie from the start, Jada Pinkett Smith. So he has to go to her lawyer building. She's luckily in the law office. That's very cool when he spots Vincent two floors down, and yeah, he's very calling kind Annie. of rear window or something. I, like it's like rear window mixed with the closing uh the 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 ending of silence of the lambs and just the mm-hmm. the cat the cat and mouse hunt in the building is really really interesting mm-hmm. so then yeah he he manages to get up to annie uh to just about help her he shoots vincent he shoots vincent once in the face it's awesome <laughs> to be honest you're like yes thank god Ouch. and then they have their uh final sequence of like max stalking at them through the subway in a scene that really reminded me of the french connection 
mm-hmm. uh, Crew's bleeding madly from his ear and then finally he sits down to die echoing an observation he made at the start of the film about how shitty LA is that somebody just died on the subway and he mm-hmm. rode around a few times before anybody even noticed it. And then the two, much like the end of Black Hat, just stumble away into the night. Although I'd say their outcome is probably an easier one than Hathaway and uh, uh, Lien have ahead of True, them. True, but like yeah. both, of, both of them look broken by the experience. Yeah, I mean, this kind of shit if it's done in any way slightly well, is fucking catnip for me. I lo- And by, like, Black Hat, in a way, uh, similarly, but not quite so much like Collateral. I love anything where they realistically represent, or as I would perceive realistically, it's Michael Mann, so I presume it's realistically, represent the, like, high-end organized crime world. Right. Hitman and stuff like that. Like, I've read a few bi- books about people like that. I'm just very, very interested in it. So this, like... This film always gets me, always, uh, and it did again this time. I really, really enjoyed this. Of the two, probably this time around, I had a more enjoyable time with Black Hat because I wasn't expecting to enjoy it near yeah. so much as I it did. Had very low expectations for Black Hat, which is probably the best way to approach every film. I think. Yeah, exactly. And lo- Expect like, the worst. Why, why the hell did we have low expectations for a fucking Michael Mann film? What a stupid Just- thing. Because everyone said it was shy and it looked like it could have been a horrible misfire. I didn't think, uh, from what I'd read about it, I didn't think there was going to be any action in it. I thought it was going to be very boring. I thought there, it, I thought it wasn't going to offer very much. So I was happy to be proven wrong. Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, yeah, same with Collateral. Collateral is an absolutely terrific film. I like um, <laughs> just again and again. Honestly, it was it, there was even a pleasant surprise to go with Collateral because, like I said, as same as yourself, I've seen it a, a fair few times. Um, and then like yeah, I'm noticing beats here and there that maybe I'm like, oh god, like you know, I just little things that I like, uh, like the meat cute, and maybe <laughs> I shrug that off a little bit. But then once it it so, gets a great its rhythm scene. going, it's a great scene. Which, the meat cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really... I just think the way that the character of Max is able to charm the passenger without being like a total like dickhead or like, you know, like, yo, baby, let me get them digits or something. Like he's able to... He's extremely charming and it's... Yeah, it just it plays off really well, that short scene. What are you bringing to the table? It was a very good week. I think we can agree, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the last two weeks we've been looking at solid, yeah. solid. You know, come on, <laughs> we've been we've been Mann kind to ourselves. Yeah, we're not really yeah, yeah, pushing yeah. the boy here. Well, we've no, got no, some. No. We we've got two excellent directors lined up this week. My toss pick is the 2010 Alejandro González Iñárritu film Beautiful, and this was recommended by at Bobert Rogers on Instagram. So you can thank him for this. Um, I'm shocked that I haven't actually seen this. I'm guessing you have. I mean, I lived in Barcelona for years. I don't know why I never got around to watching it. Maybe because it was set in Barcelona. I don't know. I just, I was never attracted to the synopsis, even though it's obviously by an excellent director. I've watched, I think, all of his, I think it's his only film that I haven't watched. I think it's also, it's one of Michael Mann's 10 favorite films. Solid. What about you? Okay, I'm bringing to the table a film that I've managed to avoid for far too long. And 1973's Sidney Lomay true life crime film, Serpico. Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times, I think, but not for ages. Attica. I believe it's uh, You're the Coin Man this week. Okay, I have a coin. I went for a smaller coin this week. So your options are 20 or that German uh, 
what's that gate called? The Brandenburg Gate. 20 or uh, gate? Give me 20. It's gate. All right. We're watching beautiful. Okay, good. Tell me what I could have won. You could have won. Well, I had a few options. I decided to go for another Sydney Lumet, and I thought, given our Al Pacino and same period, I would go for Dog Day Afternoon. Mm, which that would have been a fun week. I, I've seen before, but I haven't seen it for a while. Okay, well, the film I'm, uh, the film I've chosen will involve probably uh, both of our pasts coming back to haunt us because I imagine we've both seen this and I imagine we enjoyed it a lot when we saw it, but I'd say we saw it in the cinema. I'm going for another Inuratu movie. I want to watch for the second time ever, The Revenant. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, yeah I've seen it once. I would, I would like to revenant. I'd like to revisit. revisit I don't know. Yeah, I want to watch it again. <laughs> Yeah, I thought no, you were going to go, I you were gonna go for. I thought you were about to say Birdman for a second. Well, how, what's your feelings on Birdman? I really enjoyed it. I, I've yeah, seen yeah, it I once. Love Birdman. I liked it. I, yeah, well, I've seen it. Birdman a lot. Uh, so, oh, but okay. no, I've only seen it once. Well, like the Revenant, like there is a battle scene near the start that I've probably watched a few times just because it's yeah. fucking amazing. It's nice. But, it's good. Um, all right, cool. So beautiful and the Revenant, nice one. Bye bye. Bye. Mm-hmm.